With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 520, Vicki Hutchison. In episode 520, we first explored the relationships between the convicted murderers in this case, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly. And then we introduced a new character by the name of Vicki Hutchison. As you guys heard in the episode, Vicki testified in the Jesse Miss Kelly trial about how she, quote, played detective and used police chief, Marion police chief Don Bray's library card to check out some satanic books and trap Damien Eccles into what she had hoped was maybe confessing to her. But she says that Damien actually took her to what is known as an SBAT, a satanic occult meeting where she witnessed some orgies and people with their face painted black and things of that nature. Uh, and again, she testified to that at trial, not at the, the Eccles Baldwin trial. So I know it generated a lot of questions, um, a lot of uh, comments also about uh, Vicky and her testimony. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, before we get started today, Bob, let's talk about the GoFundMe for Ed Aid's transition home. Thank you for bringing that up. And I don't even know what to say other than Thank you. And I don't think thank you was enough. Now, as you guys know, in last week's episode, uh, last week's Friday follow up, I said that we wanted to start a GoFundMe with a goal of $5,000 to assist Ed and his family for his return home when he gets paroled in June of this year. Uh, it's a huge expense. After doing a little bit of research, it's something that is really, it's really tough on a lot of families. They come back and they have nothing. I mean, Ed's lucky enough to have a wife and kids at home waiting for him. But again, you know, he has no clothes, he has no car, he has nothing. So we thought if we could raise five grand, that would be a, a nice starting point for the family when he gets home. And the Truth and Justice Army just blew me away. And as many people stated uh, on the fan page and on our main Facebook page and Twitter, uh, has restored my faith in humanity. Uh, we put up 5,000 and we reached that goal within two hours of the GoFundMe campaign being up. So I bumped it up to $10,000 and we reached that goal within another couple of hours. We bumped it up to $15,000. We blew that one away in a few more hours. We bumped it up to $20,000. And late on Friday evening, actually John Cryer, who's been on the show before, he co-hosts the Undisclosed podcast, 
Most of us know him from uh, Ducky and Pretty in Pink and Alan Harper and Two and a Half Men. John saw my post on Twitter where I said, you know, we're just we're just four hundred dollars away from breaking the twenty thousand dollar mark, and he jumped in and donated five hundred to put us over the edge. And as of this recording, we are at you know Danielle Rohr had already started a fund that had already reached four hundred. When we add that to what we have in the GoFundMe campaign right now, Ed and his family have twenty four thousand dollars waiting for them when Ed gets out of prison to help transition and start their new life over. So thank you everyone so much for all of your generous donations. It's just amazing how many hundreds of people, to, you know, everything from five dollars to to $100 to uh, there's $1,000, anywhere in between. Whatever anybody could spare and afford, they went ahead and, and did it. And it's going to make a huge, massive difference in their life when Ed gets home. And that GoFundMe campaign is still up and running and available. I didn't bump the, uh, the goal up anymore. It still says $20,000, which we have exceeded. And, and I would love to see it continue to grow. And if you haven't donated yet and you want to and you want to contribute to what all of us have, have started to build for them, for Ed and his new life with his family, please consider going to GoFundMe.com slash Ed Home. That's GoFundMe.com slash Ed Home. Or you can also link to it from our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com. Or you can link to it from our Facebook page or our Twitter profile. The link should be pinned to the top of each of those. So again, thank you so much. I'm just so overwhelmed, impressed, uh, just moved by the generosity by so many of you. Thank you. Okay, our first question comes from Wendell. Please someone convince me that based on the clip Bob played in that episode alone, Fogelman did not willingly elicit false testimony from Vicki Hutchison. He knew well that Damien didn't drive. So Bob, can we get into Victoria's credibility? I know you do a lot of statement analysis. What's your take on Victoria's testimony? I, I agree with Wendell here that I, I think it's very concerning that Fogelman put her on as a witness and elicited the testimony out of her that he did, uh, because it is a big no-no. I mean, people lie on the stand all the time. That happens. But what's not allowed is for an attorney, whether it be a prosecutor or defense, to, uh, to put on knowingly false testimony. And he knew from Victoria's statements that she claimed uh, what, what Wendell's pointing out here that Damien drove her to the, quote, SBAT, and uh, he was driving this red Ford Escort. Well, Fogelman knows Damien, one, doesn't have a driver's license. Two, supposedly he's never driven ever at all. And three, no one connected to him even owns a red Ford Escort. The only red Ford Escort that's come into this story at all was Narlene Hollingsworth's, uh, which, you know, they all live out there in those two trailer parks right next to each other. So I don't, I don't know how that plays in, but that's concerning, but I, but I noticed something else, and I don't know if you're going to get into this in another question, but I'll answer it here anyway. The biggest red flag that I found when going through Vicky's statement and doing a statement analysis of her testimony was her explanation of the word SBAT. So on the stand, she says Damien took her to an SBAT, that's E-S-B-A-T, and she's asked what it was, and she says, quote, I had to look it up in, in one of the witchcraft books. And an SBAT means a, a meeting of satanic or witchcraft or occult type meaning. But the indicator there of deception is the fact that she said she had to look it up. So rewind and put yourself in Vicki Hutchison's from her perspective. So first of all, how does she know the word SBAT? Where does that come from? So according to her story, it comes from the fact that Damien took her to an SBAT. Now she says that she had to look up the word. 
meaning she had heard the word already and wanted to know what it meant. Well, if Damien had in fact taken her to a, quote, esbat, and he referred to it as an esbat, and she wanted to know what an esbat was, then she would have her answer. The, the answer would be the meeting that she went to. So if, if Damien says, I'm taking you to this esbat meeting, he takes her to a meeting and she sees this orgy and this stuff going on uh, that, that she claims to have seen at the meeting. Uh, and then if somebody says, what's an esbat? It would be like, well, it was, he, he said it was an esbat and this is what it was. It was this meeting. But she says she had to look it up, which tells us two things. One, she likely was never at one of these meetings because she couldn't, she couldn't recall what an esbat was from memory. She had to look it up. And number two, someone planted that word in her head. Someone used the word esbat. Either someone told her that it was a, quote, esbat, and I've said that word so many times now. Uh, I'm just going to see how many times during this, during this episode I can say esbat. Or she had just read about it in those books that she got from the library, which Don Bray assisted her uh, in getting. And you're going to hear a little more about that in Sunday's episode uh, with some clips that we're going to pull from West of Memphis. Um, but she may have just read about it and, and de determined that there, there's this thing called an esbat, and that's what she built her story around. But to me, the red car was certainly an obvious red flag. Anyone doing a thorough statement analysis uh, would have picked up also on her saying that she had to look up the word esbat. All right, and listener Anna has two questions. While on the stand, Victoria said that she was upset at the police station because the boys went missing. Then the prosecutor stated that it was the day they were found, and she said, yeah. Which was it? Were they still missing or just found? Let me answer that one first before you get into the second one. I'm, I'm not clear on the time because we don't have the police interviews from Bray, from, Marion, uh, from the Marion Police Department. Uh, but that interview took place on May 6th, which on May 6th, at the beginning of the day, the boys were missing. And at the end of the day, the boys were found. They were found around 1.30 in the afternoon. So my understanding has always been, and, and, and that's probably some assumption and presumption there on my part, I'll admit that, uh, but, but what, in my mind, it's always been she was there when Bray found out that the boys had been found. So when she got there, they were missing, and then while she was there, they found out that the boys' bodies had been found, I think. Uh, but, but we definitely know that transition from missing to murdered did occur midday on the 6th, the day she was there. Her next question reads, why would they be giving her a library card to investigate Damien Eccles if they just found the boys that day? It sounds to me that that's even more proof they were making him the sacrificial lamb from day one. And then she says as a side note, being she was already charged with the check fraud in the past, she would have done and said anything to save her own ass. Yeah, and that's something that was never cleared up at trial, but the, the whole sting operation on Damien Eccles didn't happen on that day. It happened later. Um, I can't tell you the exact dates. I don't think anyone knows the exact dates, but there's a series of, and we're going to go over these on Sunday, but a series of interviews between Vicky and her son Aaron. Don Bray was involved, and then and then it moves to West Memphis, but then Bray's still involved, weirdly, in the interviews that happened there. Somewhere between May 6th and May 27th is when uh, she got the library books and did the whole you know kind of sting operation on Damien Eccles, supposedly. So it didn't, and she didn't make clear that, and I don't think I really, because I didn't really talk much about it, I just really let you hear her testimony, but I, I, that did not happen on May 6th. Okay, and Brittany says, does anyone else think there was an inappropriate relationship between Jesse and Vicky? It's hard to say, and I hate to, to put any judgment on it. I mean, from what we know from the record, they were friends, and Jesse helped her out, even protected her. 
Uh, and that's all we know. To, to suggest anything further than that would be just speculation. I thought you were talking about Damien. Uh, in one of her police notes, I think in the May 27th interview she did, she actually says that her and Damien were, were intimate. Although in a later statement, she recants that. But, but Damien was of age. He was 18 years old. So, uh, But with Jesse, I don't know. That's the best I can say is I don't, I don't know because I don't have any facts to back that up. Andrew says, honestly, sounds like Victoria was looking for that cash reward. What do you think about her motive here, Bob? Well, there's two potential motives if you're one who believes that Victoria Hutchison was lying. Uh, one, obviously, was the huge cash reward. And you caught on the stand where the defense asked if she had uh, told anyone that she was going to get the reward. And she says no. So that's an indication that they had probably heard from someone that she had said that. In later statements from her during the Rule 37 hearing, when the defense was investigating and spoke to her, I think in 2004, she said that she thought she should have gotten it. I don't remember the exact words. Um, I just read about it in Marl Everett's book, uh, The Devil's Not. But she had told them that you know she wanted to know who got the reward as far as she was concerned. She should have gotten the reward because it was her son that gave some information we'll talk about this week. And then, of course, you know her with Damien. So... It seems apparent that she did expect the cash reward, and that's huge. And, and I've said before, a massive tens of thousands of dollars reward being spread through a very indigent community. I mean, most of the people we're talking about here were were nearly destitute. None of them, none of them were financially stable. And and to, to offer this carrot of this huge reward, it's bound to bring people out of the woodwork uh, with stories and statements, some true, some not. Uh, so that's definitely one angle. The other angle is the fact that she was on the hook for what I believe was a felony charge in regards to the credit card fraud charge. And it was made clear while she was on the stand that those charges were dropped. Well, it was John Fogelman who got to decide if the charges were dropped and the Marion police chief who was working with her who got to decide if the charges were dropped. But it's important to point out while the charges were dropped, she was still fired from her job. Again, we have to make some speculation here, and that could just be coincidence, but it would seem to me that that's a good indication that the evidence did prove that she, in fact, did steal that money, and that's why she was fired, but the prosecution decided not to file the charges on her, drop the charges, and so did the police chief, so that could be another motive. Well, hey, if you help me out with this, I'll help you out with that, and you're going to see as we move on with her statements and her son Aaron's statements that this story just gets just stupid ugly. I mean, a stupid, twisted, convoluted, flips on its head over and over again, ugly. Is Going back to Wendell's question about did John Fogelman put her on and elicit intentionally false testimony out of her? Well, you be the judge after we go through what we're going to cover on Sunday. Sue says, given that Victoria Hutchinson seems to have been coerced into giving false testimony due to a personal legal predicament, could it be the Hollingsworths were similarly pressured? There seem to be some similar discrepancies where they haven't been witnesses to just one event, but tell stories that embroil their families through multiple observations, events, and personal connections. So what do you think, Bob? There are definitely some similarities between the Hutchisons and the Hollingsworths, for sure. And, and they make some great points there, how they, they kind of bring in more members of the family, the story keeps changing, and you know they insert themselves into different parts of the investigation. But they use the term coerced there, and I don't think Narlene Hollingsworth was coerced at all. Victoria Hutchison, that's still up for discussion or debate. 
whether or not, I mean, there's still people that I get made. I'm sure probably there's people out there that think her story is legit. I don't know how, after we hear the rest of uh, all of her testimony statements and testimony, but with Narlene, she inserted herself. I don't think she had any legal trouble that she needed help with. I think she saw dollar signs with that reward and she just continually offered up information. She wasn't pulled in. She wasn't there being interviewed for another crime. So I don't I don't think the word coerced is accurate when describing Narlene Hollingsworth or anybody in her family. This one comes from Pablo. I have to ask this, Bob. You mentioned that Jason Baldwin did an interview in 2012 where he referred to Damien and Jesse as his, quote, two best friends. Yet you dismiss it so easily just saying it was a, quote, misrepresentation of the relationship. But you take Damien's take on the relationship at face value. I'm curious as to why. Well, I, I don't think, and if I said that, I, I misspoke, that it is a misrepresentation of the relationship. I believe what I said, or at least what I meant, is that it seems to be a misrepresentation of the relationship. And I say that for a couple of reasons. It's because, as we covered in 520, there were multiple, I mean, what, a dozen or so different witnesses and different elements that we covered the relationship. And the reason I said it seems to be a misrepresentation of that is because him saying they're best friends doesn't fit with anything anyone else said about them. No one has said they were best friends. Also, you have to keep in mind that I've interviewed and spoken directly with Jason Baldwin, where he told me they're not friends. They were never friends. He would consider him even less of an acquaintance than Damien said that, that Damien and Jesse were. Uh, so I know that Jason's opinion of them is that they were not close friends. So th that's why I said it seemed to be a bit of a misrepresentation. I think it could be context, too. I, I don't know why he said that. Uh, but that's what I meant when I said there was misrepresentation is because it doesn't fit with anything else anyone has ever said or anything that Jason has ever said. You know, when he kind of said off the cuff that, you know, for some reason or other, they decided to take me and my two best friends and, and charge us with this crime. Yeah. What was that again? Was that an article in the local newspaper? It was an interview. Um, I think the show was called juvenile justice matters. I don't know if it was like, uh, I think it was on like blog talk radio. So which is kind of oh. like a podcast type thing. Uh, and it was 2000. It was right after he was released. So he's released in August of 2011. And this was a 2012 interview uh, where he made that statement. OK, that's going to do it for episode 520. We're going to take a quick break here for our ads. And when we come back, we have a special treat for you. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back from our break. And for those of you that only have any interest into our Season 5 case, you can go ahead and shut down at this point because what's coming up next has nothing to do with Season 5. But for those of you that have been with us for a long time and anyone that's just interested in what's going on with the Season 2 case, Edward Eights, you're going to want to hear the rest of the show. 
because just before recording this episode, we finally got to talk to the man himself. Even though the lockdown is still going on at the prison, they turned the phones back on and Ed was able to call us yesterday. And since all of you played such a huge role in not only his release, but also in raising the funds for him through the GoFundMe campaign, we thought that we only owe it to you to let you listen in on my conversation with Ed Ace. Hello, this is a collect call from... Edward Ace. An offender at Caulfield Unit. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. To learn how to thank you for using CenturyLink. You may start the conversation now. All right, can you hear me? Ah, uh, you're fine. <laughs> uh, damn, it's good to hear from you finally. Yeah, finally. I, I mean, we're still on lockdown, but I, they turned the phones on, so... I found out, so I said, I'm going to go over here, and I need to call Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Allison and I said that, uh, yeah, it's been like uh, having a party without the guest of honor there <laughs> for the last week. <laughs> oh, man. So how you I'm doing? You, man. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great right now. I'm just, you know, still kind of in shock, but I'm, I mean, I'm happy. I'm, I mean, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Have you gotten any... Um, any notice from the prison about it, or just from what Allison told you? No, I got notice from them that that next Tuesday, the next week, I did. They sent me the uh, the papers and told me that once I uh, take the little the class and uh, it'll, it'll be over the ninety day class. It's, it's like one hundred and eighty hours. A class called changes. Once I do that, then uh, I'll be gone. It says June of two thousand eighteen, and then it said target release date. August 2018, but it's it's whenever you finish the class, you know, you got to start the class, and the class is not going right now because we're on lockdown. I don't know why, but, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be going, you know, but I don't know. Nothing is supposed to hold up the parole process, but, you know, it is right now. Do you take that class there at Coalfield, or do you go somewhere else yeah. to do it? it? It'll be here. It will be here. I mean, you, we'll leave. Uh, it's either a morning class, I might think, like, from 7 to 10.30, and then they have another one like from 11.30 to like 2.30. It's three or, three or either four hours a day. Sometimes you get four four hours. Most times it's three hours a day. Okay, so you do the whole thing there. I think Allison said that then you they move you to a, a different unit before you get released. When you get released, they'll, they'll send you somewhere, and that's where they'll push you out at. They'll book you out like that right there, however they do it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Never did it before. You know? right. I'm waiting on it, though. <laughs> oh, I can, o- I can only imagine. I mean, so, so how did you I find mean, out? Actually, I went that Wednesday. Well, uh, Mr. Nichols came to see me that Friday, and he talked to me and did the questionnaire and told me everything he was going to do. And I was like, man, are you serious? He said, yeah, they're going to vote on you next week. I said, next week? I said, today is Friday. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, I've been doing this a long time. I said, yeah, but today is Friday. I said, I've been telling everybody. He said, well, I can do it. He said, you just let me do this here. And I was like, man, are you serious? I was like, oh, man. So he, uh, they made me lay in Tuesday night, and I went over there, and it was uh, the guy, Paul Hill. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him. And once, we, I mean, once I talked to him, he asked me everything he was going to ask me. And I left out of there. I didn't, you know, a lot of guys are scared of him, you know, because they say he got this. This one attitude, I'm not voting for you, get out of here, this, this, this. And I didn't I didn't get any of that. You know, I couldn't get anything. It's like he was trying to look through me, but I was trying to look through him. But 
you know, he asked me straight up questions and I gave him straight up answers, you know. And um, I got through and he told me, he said, well, good luck and I'll have you an answer in two to three weeks. And I said, okay, thank you. I walked out. I didn't get a bad feeling, you know, I didn't get a good feeling, but it wasn't, I guess it was, you know, just kind of mutual. I was all right with it. So I came back and called him and uh, she said that she had talked to Allison and Allison told her that they had just had a meeting with him Tuesday, but he didn't say anything about that, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't say anything about, I didn't say anything about her, Allison or Mr. Nichols. And I didn't get a chance to call that night. So I was like, dog, cause we went on lockdown. I was like, man, I can't, I said, well, I'll just, maybe I'll try to catch you when I can. So I sit here and waited. Mail came the next day. And I was like, man, I got some J-Pays. So I went and got the J-Pays. It was like four J-Pays. I was like, who is this from? <laughs> and I seen Allison's name on the top of it. And I was like, oh, man, what is this? So I looked at it and I barely peeled it back. I barely, <laughs> I kept peeling it back. And it said, it, I mean, it said she had my name in big bold letters, you know. <laughs> and I just flipped it on over. She said, you've been approved for parole. I mean, man, I couldn't even. I'm not gonna lie to you. I couldn't even breathe, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I was just, I was like, man, I had to raise my arms up just to, you know, kind of catch my breath. I was like, dang, I can't breathe. It <laughs> took me, I know, about ten minutes to finally, you know, for it to sink in, and then I started walking around. Then I went and talked to my partner and told him, and you know, it was just, it's been, I've been on kind of cloud now since then. I bet. I mean, geez, me too, and I'm not the one in there. You know what, Allison called me. <laughs> I cried oh, my eyes out for two days after I found out you were going home. Uh, man, I was—I mean, I had tears in my eyes, but they just—I mean, it was just like they were stuck there. I was really kind of blind because they wouldn't move. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Dang, I don't know what's wrong with me." I said, "I just—I don't know my emotions. They just—I guess they just shot. They don't know what to do." <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I don't. I don't know. We. I, I wasn't expecting. You know, after Allison met the went to the parole board hearing on that Tuesday. She called me and she was pissed. She's like, they weren't even listening to us. And he, that guy didn't give a shit what we were saying. And I think we're just screwed. So I, the last thing I was expecting was her to call me two days later. And, and you know, where she was bawling her eyes out telling me that you're going home. She said that she tried to get in touch with me the other day because they gave me parole that same day after I saw him. I guess when he got back to the office, he gave, he, he just approved me that day mm-hmm. because she tried to. She sent the J-Pay off that same day. I just, you know, we don't get them to the next day. Right. So it was that night she said she was going to check one more time if there it was on there. I mean, so he did it that day. So, I mean, I, he listened to me. I mean, he listened to everything I had to say. He asked me, you know, kind of hard-nosed questions, you know. But, you know, I just, I just told him, I said, well, I know you're probably not going to hear what I got to say, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And then he asked me. I mean, we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. I mean, I stayed in there almost 30 minutes. Like I said, I didn't get a bad feeling or anything. Like Allison mm-hmm. said, she had a bad feeling. I mean, that's just the way he looks. You know what I mean? Right. It was He told us it was really awkward for him because he said for the first time in 27 years of doing this that he went before that board and told them that his client is an innocent man. He's, he's never done that before in 27 years. That's what, he, that's what I heard. He said he had never made that pitch before. Mm-hmm. And so how did it go with the, the interview you had? I assume you uh, it, you maintained your innocence with the guy that, that you talked to also, right? I did. I mean, he asked me, he asked me what happened. And so I told him, I said, well, I said, well what do you want to know? He said, he want to know what happened. And I said, well, really? I said, I can only tell you what happened after we got there. He asked me, what do you mean? I just told him, I said, everything just went sour from that day. Uh-huh. And he said, well, 
what did I have any plans when I got out? I said, yeah, I got plans. He said, what are you going to do? I said, well, the first thing I want to do, I want to go in and visit my mother and my grandmother. And uh, he said, okay, that's that's about a good thing. I didn't tell him that they're both uh, dead now. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, I want to get out. And uh, I didn't get to see my daughter start school or finish school. I didn't get to see my son start school. I said, but if you let me, I said, I'll possibly get to see him graduate. I said, I want to get out of here and get me a job. And, you know, just be happy and, you know, live the rest of the time that I got left with my wife, you know. And he laid his head down and he wrote some stuff on the uh, on the paper. He was writing everywhere, all over the paper, something like on the side, everywhere. <laughs> he flipped it back around and he kept writing. And he said, uh, and what are your goals when you get out? And I said, I just gave them to you. And he raised his head up and he looked at me for a minute, turned his head to the side, and he went back and writing again. After that, he just that's when he told me. He said, good luck. He said, I have your answer in about a week or two. I felt pretty good, you know, when I came out. You mm-hmm. know, like I said, I didn't I didn't get any bad feelings or anything from him. And after I got that J tape from Allison Thursday, I knew it was okay. I knew <laughs> we had a good bit. <laughs> yeah, that's about as good as it can get, it sounds like. Yep. It is. I mean, I'm just just excited right now. <laughs> I I can only imagine. I, I bet that ninety ninety days feels like ninety years right now. Oh man. I mean, I just, I get out of here every day so I can, you know, be gone in the morning all the way until, you know, four or five in the evening. So I can just pass my day, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just stay out of here by the way. I don't want to scare nobody. I don't want to spook nobody. I don't, I don't want to do shit. I just want to, <laughs> you know, just do what I got to do. Go to my spot. If they say leave or go home or shit, I'm the first one gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to do anything right now, you know. My biggest hope is that they give us at least a few days' notice before they release you, because I want to be standing out there when you walk out of those gates. Well, like when the class is over, I don't know how I do, but a little partner of mine, you know, when he, once he finished his class, he left within the next week or two. So mm-hmm. you don't know exactly you don't know exactly what date you're leaving, right? But you know what month it you know what month it is. So if he finished the class at this time, then you know you'll be leaving. If it's that month, you'll be leaving in sometime that month, and. Like the night that I leave, I'll have to have my partner to call his wife, and then she'll have to call Kim and tell Kim that you know to pick me up the next day. You know, I leave here like at four thirty in the morning, and I go sit in like the, the holdover area, and then the bus will come and pick us up and take you. It, it'll either take me to Huntsville or it's going to take me to Dallas, and uh, I'll be there for a day. You know, they process they process you out, and then the next day they process you out, and you process out like. About nine thirty, ten that morning, or either three o'clock that evening, that afternoon. I, I'm so excited. I don't know if you're excited or not, but I'm pretty excited. Oh man, I walk the hell I out of like it. I feel like I mean, a big weight is it took off my back. I mean, it's still going there. You know, I'm, I'm still, you know, fighting, but I feel a lot better, man. I just wish my mama was, you know, still here. Yeah, we all do. I mean, she. I mean, I'm gonna be okay though. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. The la- actually played in this week's episode. the The last thing she ever said to me uh, was for your season finale episode when she said, "She, <laughs> you know, you know how your mother is, you know." She, yeah. she said, "I want to make one thing crystal clear. I know my baby is coming home, and <laughs> <laughs> she knew she knew it was going to happen." Yeah, I'm glad she knew. <laughs> I wish I had been able to record the first time I talked to her when I finally tracked her down and told her that I'd been investigating your case and that I believed you were innocent, and she just lost her damn mind on the phone. 
start screaming and praising God and telling me that she knew her baby couldn't hurt a fly and just yeah. <laughs> her and grandma are up there watching down and all this, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm gonna get out and go see him and let him see me. Yep, not not yeah, wearing a white jumpsuit. I, yeah, they not have no white clothes. That's what I told Kim, I said, uh, that's what I want to do when I get out. She ain't what I want to do first. I told her that's what I want to do. She said, okay. To go see well, your uh, your mom and grandma? Yeah. Go see them. Just let them see me standing there, you know. Mm-hmm. And go on and do the best I can from there. Try to catch up with my brother and see, see if he's okay. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's, it's yeah. going to be good for a lot of people when you get out of there and start reconnecting yeah, I mean, with everybody. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, I didn't. I had a few friends. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. Really, I just had a lot of family, you know, that I dealt with. It just wasn't a lot of friends. I mean, I, I, I hung around most of my family, you know. I had a couple of friends, but I don't know them. I don't even know if they're still here, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you have a lot more friends now. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I got, oh, man, I got to. I got so many now. It's pitiful. I mean, I'm glad to have them, though. I mean, I really am. Yeah, and I, when we get a little closer, we'll have to talk about, you know, when when you walk out, what you want that to be like, because I I know there's probably about 100 people that want to be standing outside that gate when you walk out. I don't know if you want to be yeah. overwhelmed with all that or not, but but there's there's a lot of people excited to watch you walk out of there. You know, I think I'll be able to deal with it, you know. I mean, I've been here a long time, you know. I mean, there's a lot of... I got a lot of stuff boxed up and LD, you know, but I think, you know, I'm going to be all right. It's always going to be, you know, you're going to have to deal with everything one time. Mm-hmm. So right. Get it out of the way. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I don't know if if Kim has told you this or not, but one of the things we did is we wanted to I had this idea that I didn't want Kim and the kids to have to worry about anything but spending time with you when you got out. So we put up a, a GoFundMe fund for listeners to kind of raise some money to help help you guys when when you get out to, you know, everything from new clothes to a car or whatever. And, and uh, uh, who now? I, I, I didn't hear you about what is it. What's your right now? So we put up this fund for people to raise money so that when you are when you got out oh, that, okay. to, to help you with that transition, you know, because like you don't have any clothes, no car, no nothing. And okay. and so we put up a goal for to, to try to raise like five grand, and as of right before you called, I just checked, and so far you guys have twenty three thousand dollars coming to you when you walk out of that prison. You said what about? <laughs> I said you said you, you guys have twenty three thousand dollars sitting in an account waiting for you to help you transition when you walk out. Oh man, are you serious? <laughs> I I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> well, you know, Mike and I were just talking about um, trying to figure out what exactly, you know, because you know, to 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 get your new cro- new clothes when you walk out, and and we were thinking like a nice, maybe like a purple suit with a hat with a feather in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that 
I told him that's bullshit. Ed's going to wear a Truth and Justice t-shirt when he walks out. Yeah, for real. I'm, I don't know about <laughs> the purple suit. My back <laughs> but yeah, man, I've been yeah. I've been just blown away at just the just the kindness of everybody. You know, that's there were people that didn't even listen to your to your case because you know your season because they're on a different one now. But just you know, I, I literally I thought, man, if everybody if we can get a bunch of people to donate a few bucks, we can raise four or five thousand dollars and they can buy new clothes and maybe go on a little vacation or something and just it was within 24 hours it went all the way up to twenty thousand dollars matter of fact john crier made the donation to push you over twenty thousand uh ducky or alan harper from two and a half men you know who john crier is right i know exactly who that is (laughs) yeah i had put up a post on twitter that said man we're almost there with just a few hundred dollars more we can break twenty thousand and Ducky popped in to make the final donation to push it over twenty. Oh, man, I, I really, I really appreciate that. I mean, I really do. I can't say anything but thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough, Bob. I mean, you're the person that made all this happen. You know, I'm glad I pulled that letter out of the trash. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. And what amazes me about it is that it's not just me; that it's just so many people. I mean, this is all because. Just so many people decided to to pitch in and help in whatever way they could for somebody they never met. It's just you know as shitty as as a lot of things are in the world right now. It just it just makes me feel like if this world isn't such a bad place. There's still some good in there. It is. I mean, it really is. And I mean, I'm one of the first people who who felt like that. You know, nobody out there gonna help you with nothing. You know, unless they after something. You know. It's, Took me a long time to figure that out. And it is people out there that's going to try to help you. I mean, they're not looking for anything, no kind of games or anything. They're just doing it because, I mean, just because they want to do it. They're not looking for anything. It just makes them happy to do it. Just to see you happy. That was the the payoff for them was to was to get the news that you're actually coming. You're actually going home. Yeah, I mean, I got a few. I got a few letters. You know, people. They, I mean, they're happy. They don't know how much I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're going to be excited to hear from you because all of us, that was like with all the craziness and all the confusion and everything was you're just like, God damn, the only person I want to talk to was Ed. Like, I wanna, It's not it's not real for me until I heard until I could hear you laugh, you know, just be happy right. about the fact that you're going home. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I found out I was I was standing outside drinking our cranberry juice and I was I was like, man, I just. I don't know if they're going to cut the phones on there and do some. Man, the phones on, they've been on all morning. I said, you serious? You see, you walk right by the phone. I said, man, are you for real? So I shot over there and I said, I need to call. I said, you call Bob. Then we'll call Kim. <laughs> I just wrote, I just wrote like 12 letters last night. And I had wrote Allison and I was writing her to, you know, to thank her and tell Mr. Nichols thank you. And tell the students thank you. Tell Michael Ware thank you. I mean, just tell everybody thank you. And I'm going to try let Bob, let Bob know I'm gonna, that's going to be the first person I call as soon as they get the phones on. So I was up early this morning, and I didn't, I guess somebody was down here on the phone, and I walked right by them. <laughs> just I walked right Because, you, know, you know, everybody, they'll pick the phone up and just, you know, pick it up, just be sitting there to see if it's on, and they'll just sit here, and they'll wait to see if it's going to come on, you know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people sit, they'll wait for it to come on, then they can get on it first, you know, and, and I knew they were just sitting here, you know, just talking. 
because they're running uh, stores today too. So that's where that's why everybody's sitting there. So I just walked right by them and didn't even pay attention. They they had the phone up talking. <laughs> just oblivious, okay. walked right by them. I just had one thing on my mind, you know, to go. I was on my way outside to just, you know, I try to every morning. I try to, you know, keep me a routine to where I can. I got something to do, you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, even before the parole, I try to stay busy, you know, to keep my mind occupied so I don't just be sitting and thinking because, you know, you just go to sitting and you sit thinking about one thing and then you start getting negative thoughts and all kind of stuff go to going through your mind. And I, I try to stay positive, you know, but sometimes, you know, a lot of times you're going to fall back into that, into that mode. Think about everything else that can go wrong, you know, but. It haven't went wrong yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll just, just just keep plugging away, plugging away. That's the way I am, you know. I'm trying to get over that, get rid of that. It's, it's working, though. It's working. Yeah, and I'm sure, sure knowing that it's days instead of decades when you get to go home has got to help up the attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said I can really, you know, I'll be at home now. I, I probably can't go anywhere, but I don't care. I can, at least I can sit on the couch and I can... I can get up and uh, get me something to drink and sit there and watch movies all day or something, you know. I, I know I can get me a job or something. I'll be busy then, you know. But uh, I can at least I tell Kim I can I can bug Allison now like she wants me to. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is too, you know. That's all this amazing news is still right in the middle of us fighting to get you completely cleared, and that process right. gets a hell of a lot easier when you're outside. And we can call you anytime yeah, we want to and go see you anytime we want to. Exactly. I'm still holding out that uh, how awesome would it be is if we get some good DNA results back before you even walk yeah. out of there. Right. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get it back. I feel like we're just we're just on a roll. One of the things that really makes me happy is uh, with you going home, besides all the other reason that's awesome, is... When we get, and I say when because I, I feel like I know what's going to happen. When we get the evidence and your conviction gets thrown out, it really fucks them to try to corner you with uh, with an Alfred plea for them to back out of any responsibility when you're already home. Right. I mean, because they can't hold that up on, over me now, you know, because I'll be out. Right, know? yeah. So that's just another threat to hold over you use, and they can't really, you know, they can't do that now. No, I said it, 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 it completely changes everything with you being right. home for the rest of the, for the rest of this process. Right. And I mean, you know, like the parole board, I mean, even though they could, they have to know what's going on and what's going on with you. So I assume, well, no, I know that they know what's going on, you know. I mean, even with Allison and Mr. Nichols there, mm-hmm. I mean, they done probably done looked and checked themselves, you know. Because, I mean, I, I, if I'm going to make my decision, make my final decision on something, I mean, you can tell me what you want to tell me, but I'm still going to check it out myself. Right. You well, know? and Allison said that the only reason they let you out is because they believed you were innocent. Right. With, with the statements you gave them and the case that we presented to them, you have not right. been rehabilitated by their standards. You know, by their standards to be I mean, rehabilitated, they, you have to have remorse and you, you said you didn't do it. So the only reason they let you out is because they believed you're innocent. Right, and you know that's another thing. What I told him, I said, uh, I said he asked me why I had not taken the programs. He said you don't have any programs here. I said no. And he kept writing, and, and I asked him, I said, well, do you want to know why? And he said, yeah, sure. He put the pen down, and I told him, I said, well, I said these programs that they got here are, you know, for rehabilitation, right? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I understand. They, I mean, they got to have them in place for that, but 
I don't feel like I need to be rehabilitated for a murder case. I mean, because I, I didn't kill anybody. I said, I'm not saying that I don't need help because I probably do need a psychiatrist. I said, I mean, you know, I'm, it's flipped. I said, hell, I've been here nearly 20, you have one minute 22 left. years, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm messed up to a sense. Anybody has that's been here that long, I need probably some psychiatry help because I, I got a lot of stuff in my mind and in my heart that I'm holding in and I can't get it out. I don't know how to get it out. And I thought he was just blowing me out, but he wasn't. Right. Well, we're about to run out of time, time, Ed. Yeah. Um, can you call me on Friday? Okay. I'll do that on Friday. Awesome. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. And congratulations, bud. I can't wait to, to shake your okay. hand outside. All right. Tell Allison I said hey. I will. I will. And I'm okay. Tell him okay. I will. All right, Bob. All right. Take care, man. Yep. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, thank you for listening in on that, and I hope you really enjoyed hearing the real joy in Ed's voice. It was so good to hear him laughing again. And make sure that you tune in on Sunday when we get back into our investigation of the Forgotten Three case, where we begin to dig deeper into the link between Damien Eccles and Jesse Miss Kelly, Victoria and Aaron Hutchison. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Designs for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And a special thanks to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. <clears throat> oh, okay. Let me say it again. That's my addition to the question. Right. Off the cuff. So yeah, written yeah, it down on yeah, a piece of paper. Off, off the cuff, right? <laughs> None of this is off the cuff ever. Could it be the Hollingsworths were similarly? <laughs> I got the word off.
Could it be the Hollingsworths were similarly pressured? That is way harder to say than you might think. Yeah, especially in front of a microphone. And a camera. And a camera. It's your favorite time. It's ad time. Ad time. 